you're turning back to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, there's a new term out these days. It's called a hack. Maybe some of you older folks don't know what like the hacks are. And, you know, when you're going on YouTube and you want to like learn something or take a shortcut, you, you, you look up the hacks, you know, and so like home improvement hacks. So you can use Coca-Cola or Pepsi Cola to, you know, clean off rust off something, or, you know, you can use a, a rubber band and stick it into a bad, a bad, you know, screw to, to unscrew it, you know? So there's all these, they, they call them hacks, right? And there's all these life hacks and kind of another name for those would be, you know, shortcuts and uh, we or, or you know, clever shortcuts. And, and we're all looking for like that shortcut, right? The easy way. Um, sometimes it's just because, well, we don't know. You know, I don't know how to do plumbing. I don't know how to do electrical work. So, you know, something happens and you, you think, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll go to the YouTube. Now, it used to be you'd have a, a book, right? And you'd, you know, maybe you have the, you know, not the encyclopedia, encyclopedia, but like the, you know, the popular mechanics or something. You'd have to go and like read. You'd have to read about it and study about it. And, you know, well, who wants to do that, right? Um, you know, and they had them for auto you know, auto, you know, repairs and home improvement and, you know, just about everything. Well, now we have YouTube. And so in three minutes, you can get a hack. Well, that's kind of what we are doing with life now. Well, we, we think that we can, you know, just kind of escape and, you know, find the easy hack, the easy three-minute hack to marriage, right? Because that's all it'll take. It'll just take three minutes. Ask anybody who's been married for five minutes. You know, it's just, you know, a nice little, you know, YouTube for three minutes. And, um, well, it doesn't work that way. And so the Bible, the Bible then is a, is a, is a guidepost for us. It's, it's an instruction manual that, that God, our father left us. Um, you know, it's a B I B L E basic instructions before leaving earth, Right. Um, this is here for us. You know, you're, you're a young man trying to make your way in life. You know, what, what, what's the most important thing you can do? Well, get some skills, right? Some kind of skill. Um, well, the best skill you can have is the skill of understanding God's word. And, and we've, we've rushed past that. Well, I, this is a big book. There's a lot of a lot of pages, a lot of words in there. Uh, maybe you've never read a book that big in your life. So why would you start now? It's like, well, let's let's cut it down. I mean, we don't need to read the Old Testament, right? I mean, that's all like all the old stuff. So we'll just read the New Testament. And well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John aren't they just kind of like the same the same story told in a little bit different way? So I'll just pick one of those guys. Uh, Revelation's too scary, and it's a long book, so uh, let's just eliminate that. And before you know it, it's like, well, you know, First John, that's a good one. You know, it's like four, four chapters. And, you know, and then you look at it and you think, well, maybe I could listen to it. And I could just listen to somebody else read it to me. And these aren't bad tools and help aids, but God has given us his word for a reason. He's preserved it for a reason. I mean, people have died. To, to get this book into our hands, into our language. I mean, could you imagine if you had to learn Hebrew and Greek to, to read the word, how hard that would be? Could you imagine um, what it would be like if you didn't have it? You just don't have a Bible. They, they don't exist. They're not around. Um, and so here we are with this amazing blessing and do we take advantage of it? Um, and unfortunately, so many don't. Now, all religions are defined by their holy book. I mean, how do you know what the difference is between religions? Well, you compare them 
to their, what they claim to be their holy writings. They claim that this is their writings from their God. And so there's, you know, one empirical truth. And so what we would do then is, well, we, we would compare the holy writings. And if there's clear things that are prophetically wrong or geographically wrong or scientifically wrong, well, that would be an indication real quick. Well, something's not right about this book. And when this book starts telling us about things that are happening in the future, um, well, maybe we shouldn't trust that book. But make no mistake. Uh, don't be confused. These other religions, um, you know, you have the Quran, the Torah, the Book of Mormon, the New World Translation. Why are they there? We have the Bible. They're there to replace the Bible. Don't, don't, don't be confused by that. If we already have the scriptures, we already have the Bible, why would we need a completely new big, giant, thick Bible? That then is also by, by their leaders told, well, you should read this and not this. Now, most of them will say, well, we include this. It's just not as important as, as their Bible. Well, that should be an indication right away that, well, they don't really believe that this is the actual word of God because they're going to replace it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. They have their own books with their own rules, their own paths to heaven, which in essence is a different God. It's a different God. If you have a different Jesus, it's a different Jesus. If you have a different God, it's a different God, a different pathway to God. It's a different God. And so the church, the membership, we have to be dedicated to this book. Um, I, I'm able to go to California and be at complete peace and comfort knowing that, that the man in place, that, that living in place, believes that this is God's word and he's going to teach from God's word just like I would. This is what we have in common. I like him. I like him a lot. But this is our commonality, the scriptures. And so I could die tomorrow. That would be just fine. You, everybody can go on because you have the word. That, 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 that's what we come for. Um, and so it's the Bible against all other philosophies. I, I've mentioned this before. If, if psychology and all the different philosophies of the world were the same as the Bible, then why don't they allow the Bible in their disciplines at university? The psychology department doesn't allow for the Bible. Why? Because it contradicts psychology. Well, more accurately, psychology contradicts the Bible. Why doesn't philosophy class include the Bible? Because it contradicts the Bible. Because the Bible has a different pathway. And so, do they touch on truths? Well, yeah, they'll, they'll touch on truths. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? I mean, there's certain empirical truths that are going to be true no matter what. And so that's part of the allure as well. But that, that seems right. That isn't that right. Um, so part of it's right, but most of it's wrong. All these worldly philosophies are driven by man, again, by man's desire to not want to use this. We already have the Bible. Why do I need your psychology? Why do I need your philosophy? Well, the Bible didn't give us enough. I mean, say that out loud. <clears throat> God left us with a manual for our instruction. God didn't leave us with enough. So I need you to write a book that helps us because God didn't do a good enough job. Uh, it doesn't sound very good, does it? We see that Jesus himself uses the scriptures and used the scriptures. He quoted it constantly. When Satan himself attacks Jesus in the desert in Matthew 4, it's Jesus going back over and over and over again, quoting scripture. It's, it's our only power. It's our only authority. I've already mentioned that for practical living, 
this isn't a a um, motivational book. That, that's not the purpose, but it will motivate you. It's not a self-help book. That, that's not why we go to the Bible, but it will help you in your marriage, in your parenting, in your business. It will bless you in giving you joy and real fulfillment in life. All these other things are temporary. That's why the um, the you know the addictions and the highs and the all those things, even the fun, the personal peace and fluency, temporary, temporary, temporary. You want to see the most miserable people? See the people with the most stuff. If you're not sure, just Google it. Look at all the the movie stars and the athletes and the singers. I mean, these people should be on top of the world, right? They have fame and fortune. They can do anything they want. And they literally kill themselves. Why? Because that's not real joy and fulfillment. So the church then is built on God's word. That's where the churches would rally. They'd come together. They'd read the scriptures together. Why? Because we're just a bunch of knuckleheads, right? And coming together, it's like, well, I I don't want to know what you think. I want to know what God thinks. And hey, we've got the word. Or read it. Read the word. What does that mean? Let's study it. Let's live it. We have a, a, a philosophy that's roaring through our society. The, the postmodern worldview. And in that diabolical view, it, it's there is no absolute right. Now, in that, it undermines everything. I don't care what philosophy, anything you believe in, it'll undermine it. It's like, well, that's your view because there is no absolute view. There is no absolute truth. Of course, that's not true because whatever they think, they think is absolute truth and right. They just don't think yours is absolute truth and right. And so now what we have, and just look at the TV every now and then, why the anger? Why the rage? There's the anger and the, the rage. You see it in their eyes. You see it in their, their voices as they're screaming and yelling, whatever the topic. It's like these are people running around saying, there's no absolute moral right. Well, then what are you so upset about? You do you and I'll do me, right? You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Nope. They don't really believe that. They don't want you telling them how to live, especially if you're going to use this book especially if you're going to use this book. And so <clears throat> there's no absolute right. There's no absolute wrong. There's no evil. I mean, we're seeing that day after day after day, evil's being redefined. Of course, the most evil people on the planet are conservative Christians with our views, right? We're the haters. We're, we're, we're the evil ones. Think about that for a second. Um, but then again, it's the, the church is being infiltrated by this. The church is eliminating the scripture. Well, we don't really need this. This is old and antiquated. Uh, the church is being tossed back and forth like a, just a little little cork in the, in, in the ocean. And so the church is falling too new trends, new marketing tactics, new books. Um, again, redefining what the church needs to be. Re-exploring. Well, you know, um, we can do it a different way. Let, let's use different terms, different, um, you know, the names of churches, right? You're not going to find new churches that have church in the name. Why? What, what are you afraid of? What are you hiding from? Well, that, that's a man-driven philosophy. That's a marketing strategy. That's not biblical. You should be proud to be called a church. Uh, by definition, that's who and what you are. Uh, I didn't name this church, uh, but I'm, I'm proud of the name of this church. We're, we're in Ravensdale. Well, that makes sense, right? The church in Ephesus. We're in Ravensdale. Well, what are we about? We're about the Bible. 
We're, and we're a church. We're, we're, we're a gathering of, of the fellowship of people. Ravensdale Bible Church. Um, you know, we're not some of these other things. I, I, I don't want to put others down, but it's like they're, they're so cliche and so just typical of all over the country. It's like, what's, what's your point? What, what are you trying to, to drive home here? Well, it's not the word of God, that's for sure. So why do we have a problem? Again, the scriptures tell us. The scriptures tell us why we have, a tr- we have this trouble. Listen, realize this. <clears throat> In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. When you love yourself, you care about yourself, you only want what's best for you, right? Uh, lovers of money, affluency. We need money. We have to work for money. Money is good. Money helps us buy things. Money helps us to be generous. Money helps us to eat. But we can't be lovers of money. We, we don't worship money. Money's not the most, money's just a tool. It, it, it's a tool. Um, today we're lovers of money. It's all we talk about. It's all we care about. When we say, who are you? What do you do? What are we asking? Not your character. Where do you work? And then I'm going to gauge how much you make. Right? And then I'll judge you by that. Boastful. Arrogant. Boy, we're just constantly talking about ourselves, our achievements. Um, Revilers. Disobedient to parents. Being disobedient to parents is is honored nowadays and you know when we talk about psalm one do, do not sit in the seat of mockers it's like we send our kids to school to sit in the seat to listen to people mock and and all day long put down their parents if you're not sure i mean just go to the local you know the the issue right now in the local public schools is they're fighting to keep parents out of the school system um, they're sicking the FBI on them as domestic terrorists because the parents want to know what you're teaching their kids. God forbid. And, and what do you think is happening with those teachers in the classrooms day after day? And they're, 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 they're teaching kids ultimately to be disrespectful and disobedient to parents because they know better. This teacher who's been in fourth grade for 25 years knows better um ungrateful unholy how can you be holy if you don't know what the standard of holiness is um that's why we constantly go back to the word to be reminded unloving irreconcilable you know we're at at california and listening to another sermon and again just being reminded of what love is and you know one of the pivotal foundational cores of love is forgiveness being able to forgive well again it goes back to a lover of yourself right if you love yourself above all else like you fix it to fix me because i love myself it's a complete opposite of somebody who's who wants to reconcile it's like well why don't i fix me to help fix this problem right and, and pursuing forgiveness I will forgive you of the sins, of the, of the mistakes that, that you, um, you do. I'm going to be a forgiving person. You, you want to make a mark in your life? Be the kind of person that's forgiving. You will be liked. You will be loved. You will have so many friends that you won't know what to do with. Um, but be a... Angry, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossip. Um, people won't like you. Without self-control. We, we, we don't train self-control anymore. Again, it goes back to you, you just be the way you are. Watch the little kids now running around, screaming, yelling, doing whatever they want. Being disobedient to parents. Because, you know, the four-year-old's in charge, right? Um... What do you think happens to that 
screaming, yelling, disobedient four-year-old. Oh yeah, turn on the news, you'll see. They turn into a screaming, yelling, disobedient 40-year-old. Can't use their words, can't explain why they believe they're at a protest. Ask them a simple question, can't explain it. Gotta scream, gotta yell. Um, and the list goes on. And so the Bible tells us we're going to have a problem. We have a problem. This isn't new. This wasn't a shocker to God. God wasn't surprised that this was going to happen. He tells us, again, it proves that his word, that his wisdom, that his mind is greater than ours. He tells us in Romans 1.16, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the word. Quite frankly, a, a lot of people are ashamed. Pastors are ashamed. I, I can't think of anything else to call it when you're, when you're a pastor and you refuse to teach the Bible. I, that doesn't make any sense at all. But time after time after time, um, and I'm talking about the most popular ones, you'll be lucky if you get like one verse that verse is taken totally out of context. We can find one word in that verse and just go do whatever we want with that word, right? We'll make it sound and interpret it in any single way we want. No, the Bible says don't be ashamed. The Bible in, in Romans 1.16 says it has the power unto salvation. This book will save your life. Not just today, but eternally. It will save your life. I can't impress that upon you more. Man will deceive you. My greatest fear is being wrong, being deceptive. Um, I will be judged for that. But even more than that, to be deceptive, to, to lead somebody else astray. What, what, what a horrible thing. And the Bible repeats over and over in Ephesians 5, 6, says, let no man deceive you with empty words. How do you empower yourself? You know the word. It's right here. And you know what? You may not know it all today, but you can start today. You start today and a year from now, you'll be amazed at what you know. And then you know what will happen in two years, in three years, in four years? We've got time. But just start today. Start today. Colossians 2.8 again warns us, no philosophy and traditions of men. Why? Because man thinks he's smarter than God. He's trying to replace God. Why? Because he's driven by Satan. That's why he's following his father. Um, 2 Corinthians 11.3 talks about beware of forsaking the truth. Do you know what truth is? What is truth? Again, it goes back to the postmodern thing. You know, I'm going to keep bringing it up because it's so ridiculous. We don't know what a man and a woman is. Can't you go back in the beginning of the Bible? The first chapter of the Bible tells us what a man and a woman is. I, I guess we had to know. We assumed we all knew what a man and a woman was, but lo and behold, 2022, and we don't know what that is. Um, why? They forsake the truth. You know what truth is? This is what's true. God created a man and God created a woman. That's true. That's true. Um, so I can't be ashamed of that. And I'm, I'm not going to back off of that. Well, we've got, again, we've got churches that don't seem to understand the truth anymore. So there's no real guidelines. There's no real truth. Um, do you guys understand that 91% of Americans attend public school? I mean, probably most of you attended public school. You know what that means? That means you heard a lot of untruthful information over and over and over again. One of the biggest foundational ones, again, goes right back to the beginning. How are we here? How did we get here? Did we evolve? Where did God make us? I, I watch kid videos all the time. You watch kid videos about animals 
and they'll show you a bat, they'll show you an owl, they'll show you a boa constrictor, they'll show you a crocodile. There's no previous animal before it that has anything that, that's transitional that evolution would require or animals after it. And yet this is what's taught as absolute empirical truth. Um, it's untrue. The world lies to us all the time. So how do we understand life? How do we understand who we are, why we're here, what's our purpose, who's God, who's man? Why is adultery a sin? Why is fornication a sin? Why is homosexuality a sin? Stealing, murder, lying, gossip. So we're not here to pick on one group, right? Um, we've all gossiped in this room. We've all lied. We've all committed that sin. Um, whether it's adultery or fornication or homosexuality, these are just sins. There's not one that's worse than the other. God tells us not to do any of them. Not just one of them. Any of them. God tells us what happens to the unrepented wicked. Outside of that, how do we know? Outside of that, who's to say? Who's to judge? Well, we're seeing that in real time right now. The challenge is on. Everything is being challenged. It's being rewritten. It's all being rewritten. So, the pillar of the church and church membership is Scripture. And 2 Timothy 3.16 really gives us a three-point outline of all Scripture is sufficient. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. And so let me read this again. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So a couple words we have to kind of hash out. First, teaching. So this book is here to teach us, right? This, this is our, our ruler. This is our guide. So, so we then learn how to live our instruction book and manual is right here. You, you want to fix the car, you want to do some gardening or quilting or cooking or whatever it is, you, you go to the book, right? Well, you want to live, you go to this book. This book will teach you. Let it be your teacher. Let it be your, your mentor, right? Your mentor. It's here for correction. I'm going to say it the best way I can say it. You ain't right. Neither am I. We need fixing. We need fixing. It's like we're walking around, you know, you get, you, you got, you know, a flat tire and you're, right? You're going to drive your car with no gas. You're going to drive your car with no brakes. You're going to drive your car. I mean, cars need fixing. It's, it's not a bad thing. I don't, you could buy your car brand new. It's just a matter of time. The clock is on, right? The tires wear out. You need oil. Every single car needs fixing. It's just the way it is. Well, so do we. It's not a put down. It's not an attack. It's just a truth. And, and so for us, it's not only just aging, but it's, it's also our sin nature. Our sin nature is working against us. And so we need to be corrected. We need to be instructed in the scriptures. Again, how do we correct in gentleness in kindness? Galatians 6, 1. Nobody wants to be yelled at, right? Nobody wants to be, you know, um, uh, attacked. No, we can correct nicely. Uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath, right? But a harsh one just stirs up more strife. Be gentle, be nice. Um, but we have to be willing to, to teach and, and receive correction. We have to be willing to be humble. Are, are, are you willing to be self-examined? Um, 
You know, we don't go to the, the car shop uh, ahead of time, right? Why? Well, we know they're going to probably figure something out. We don't want to pay for it. We don't want to hear it. Well, don't do that with yourself. That's part of why we come to the communion table, to examine yourself. You know, am, am I really doing it right? Well, what do you examine yourself to? Not the person sitting next to you. You examine yourself to the Word of God. That's the standard. And then this idea of reproof. What's reproof? Reproof has that idea of buffing and shining, right? You ever see, you know, you see this in shoes. I, I like, you know, when you see your shoes getting done and, you know, you look at it, it's like, well, the guy like spits on it and, you know, it just keeps rubbing it. And it's like, you know, I could do that. And, and it comes and it's like shiny, looks brand new. That's that idea of reproof. You, you need reproof. You need buffing. You need to kind of that happening to you, right? Well, that's that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Read the word over and over and over and over and over again. Allow the word of God to marinate through you, to reproof you, to make you shine. Why? Because it will train you in righteousness. It will train you in holiness. It will train you not, not just so that you're so amazing. You will be blessed by living righteously. People around you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. You'll be happy. You'll have joy. You'll have total and complete joy. And so the first instruction here given is that all Scripture is sufficient. All of it. Every single page. Every single word. Why? Because it comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 5.18 says, every jot and every tittle. Those are the, the little markings that went in, you know, in, the, in the scriptures. Um, Deuteronomy 4.2 and Revelation 4.18 say, this is why you do not add or subtract from it. A great fear of adding in written form, especially in the form of publishing to God's word. So all these books that are written and stuff, they should be done with great fear and intrepidation. Because at, at, to what extent are you adding to the scriptures? Are you adding to God's word? And most definitely when you call your book the holy book, right? Like something like the Quran, you know, or the Torah. Well, you're adding. Be careful with that. The Bible says don't do it. Uh, scripture is God's holy writings. It's the... The, the, the graphe, it's infallible. That means it's not wrong, and we'll talk about that. There, there's 66 books, 34 authors, 1,500 years, one voice. The, the, this book is a miracle. The book is a miracle. Um, it's from God. It's God's Word. And so, because of that, it is sufficient. It's sufficient. What does that mean? It means this is all we need. Again, you don't need the psychology, the philosophy, all the other books. Um, this book is sufficient. When, you, when you've read through this enough times and, and, and mastered it, then come tell me. Um, I've re read through this many, many times now. And it is incredible how many more new things I see. It's incredible. I can look at my Bible that's... Um, you know, pretty marked up and, and read something and go, I've never seen that before. I, I know I've been here. I can see my footprint here. I can see my markings. How in the world did I miss that? It, it, you miss it. And God opens your, your eyes to more and more and more. This is all you need. It, it's sufficient. Read this, read it all, then read another book. Because maybe you come across something, you have some questions, that book maybe helps you out a little bit. But read this first. G give that a whirl. Um, and as soon as you're done, read it again. Um, and then you can start getting into maybe certain sections. But that, that's the, the best thing you can do. Why? Because it's enough, it's, it's plenty, it's, it's all you need. It's, like, it's a meal. 
So it's like, here's this beautiful meal. I'm gonna make you this beautiful meal, right? And right after I make the meal, you know, you reach into your purse and you know, you pull out, you know, a you know, chocolate candy bar and that's your dessert. It's like, I just made you a complete meal, including dessert and you're, you're bringing in a Snickers, really? You're supplementing with that junk? Um, the Gnostics. The Gnostics were around at the very, very beginning. And the, the Gnostic heresy was this. They, they always wanted to find the secret meaning. The meaning that's like not there. And we see this over and over and over again. Bible codes, right? And it's like, well, what you don't see here. Look, this word was given by God the Father to you. Every one of you. Smart, dumb, doesn't matter. Um, the Word of God is for all of us to be able to understand. Young people can understand this. Old people can understand this. Um, the Gnostics had this idea of, well, you know, there's, there's hidden meaning. And again, that's behind a lot of the, the thought today. That, well, there's a, a, a more deeper spiritual significance. That's the whole problem with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has been so dissected and pulled apart and, and gone off in so many different tangents of secret meetings and in, interpretations. It's like it's, it's almost impossible to even read it without hearing all that noise because we've all heard something. Um, and again, usually by well-intentioned people. But all scripture, every single piece of scripture is sufficient, and, and that's what we got to anchor. So that's why we study it. That's why we preach it. Why? Why is it sufficient? Because all scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Um, in, in the Greek, it's the opo nylostos. The source is God. There's no mistake here when you're the source is not Paul. The, the source is not Moses. The source is God. God breathes into them what to write. Um, not just some of it, all of it. It's very, very unique in that we see personality of man in the writing, but we see the mind of God in what's being said. And so it's God's divine inspiration. Exodus 20 verse 1 said, God spoke all these words to Moses, right? Isaiah 59, 21 says, the words I put in the mouth of Isaiah. 2 Samuel 23, 2-3, the words of David were spoken by the Holy Spirit as David was writing the Psalms. 1 Peter 1, 20-21 says, no scripture is of one's own interpretation, not made by an act of human will move, but moved by the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. And so my job then is to, to read and, and repeat the author's intent, not my intent. So that's why we go back to the context of who it was written to, when, what specifically was being addressed to them? Because that's what's being said. And then we can pull that and say, and then how do I also apply this to us? Um, but it's, it's God's interpretation, not man's. Um, and then it's God's word, Isaiah 55, 11, that will not return back void or empty. Scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's authoritative. This is our authority, right? So again, it's, it's not because there's a, a wise guy, you know, Socrates or Plato or supposed to be pretty smart guys. No, God's word, it has the authority. Again, the problem today is, you know, we, we don't think we need this book. We, we, we don't think we need it. We, we think we're better suited spending time listening to other books or you know, I, I, you know, I spent time in seminary and, you know, I stack my, I I've, I've, think I've said this before, I'd stack the books for the semester. And I'm looking at this stack and I'm looking at my Bible. And, and part of our training was we read a lot of Bible. 
We read it in Hebrew. We read it in Greek. We, uh, we, we had to memorize the whole Bible for ordination. I mean, I went to a place where, where we upheld the scriptures. But regardless, here's my Bible, and I've got a thick Bible, and here's a stack of, of books. And I'm looking at going, maybe I should read this more. Because every time I read this, boy, do I get depth out of it. I had to go through every single book of the Bible and, and do the purpose and the theme and the summary and the key points and the outlines and best exercise in my life. I went through the entire Bible and looked at every single prayer so that I could learn what a real prayer looks like. Great exercise in my life. Again, studying the Bible. Um, so be careful because this has the authority. These don't. I've, I've read a lot of really helpful books that are a blessing to me. But, but it, they, they don't supersede God's word. Ezra, when he stood before the people of Israel and they, and they were without the scriptures for a long time. They had been separated from, uh, from their homeland. Reza, Ezra, you know, in his, his famous, you know, bring the book. Bring the book. And they would read the scriptures before the nation of Israel standing up and weeping. Because this book has power and it's special. It's authoritative. It's the final and only authority. It's inerrant. What does that mean? It means there's no errors in here. If you think you see something wrong and it doesn't match up, you're wrong. You don't match up. You just can't figure it out. But this book's not wrong. Again, in our arrogance, we don't like to hear that. We don't want it. This kind of justice, this doesn't make sense to me. So God's got to be wrong. This kind of grace and mercy doesn't make sense to me. So God's got to be wrong. That's what we do as man. No, this Bible is without error. It's Proverbs 30, verse 5. Psalm 19, verse 7. It's perfect. It's perfect. It stands as a whole. This whole document is, is perfect. It's seamless. This is why the Bible judges us. Romans 9, 20. We don't judge each other. The Bible does. If, if the Bible says adultery is wrong, then adultery is wrong. It's not me judging you. It's the Bible judging you. Um, it's the Bible standards, not my standards. It's inerrant and infallible. It means that it doesn't fail. It didn't go away over time. Well, we don't think that way anymore. Well, times have changed. One of the greatest evils that has happened to us is the, the redefinition of women, the redefinition of, of where a woman finds her value, right? That you have to be a career woman with an amazing career, and that will be the ultimate fulfillment. Um, look, most men aren't CEOs of their company. So where we get this idea that now all the women have to be too doesn't make any sense, but okay. Um, yes, there's a line to be, you know, you know, managers and CEOs, you know, that a lot of women I'm sure would love to do. There's not a line to be, you know, plumbers and contractors, even though most of those guys probably make more money than, than the other. Well, the world has flipped everything upside down. So your value isn't in home raising your children. It's not at home creating a home of godliness, of order. And so now we have a whole world of confused women. And by the way, yes, adultery's up and divorce has gone up. Well, I wonder why you put all the women in the workforce with all the men. Does that have anything to do with it? It's real easy for guys to be super sweet and nice to the gal that sits next to them that dresses really nice like at Sunday church every single day. They never argue. They never have financial problems. They don't have to worry about raising kids, right? 
So every day things are perfect and hunky-dory. And then you wonder why people fall in love with the person that, you know, next to them. Um, the ramifications of these things have extended far beyond we could have ever imagined because it's like, hey, well, what's wrong with, you know, working? Well, there's a lot of things wrong with it. What's the A1 goal? A1, I know that there's widows and death and different circumstances. I know, I, I understand. But what's the A1 goal? And you talk to the people who are doing the A1 goal and they're happy. Because you know what's not very fun? Working all day long at your job and then coming home because guess what's at home? More work. It's unbelievable. It's, it's awesome. No, it's not awesome. And so we've worn down um, our, our moms and our wives and all that because, well, let's follow the path of the world. Instead of fighting for saying, well, what does the scripture say of what the family structure is best suited for? Not me. What does the Bible say? Yeah, the Bible includes that women are able and allowed to work. So I'm not saying that. But how you do that and where you do that, um, usually that's based out of the home. Well, the word is a lamp. It's, it's the flashlight for us. It's a lamp unto our feet. We sing songs about that. Psalm 119, 105. We're supposed to, Proverbs 2, 4, seek it like it's a treasure. Do you seek God's word like it's a treasure? Are you just hungry and thirsty for it like a deer panteth after water? Have you ever been so thirsty for water that you just drink anything? No, that's how you're supposed to be for God's word. You can't wait to get to your time where you can sit down and read it and read it uninterrupted and read it alone and read it long and dissect it and meditate on it and memorize it day and night. That's the way we're supposed to seek it, her, like a treasure. That's how we find out how we function in a church because we know, well, what does it say? the function of the churches? What does it say about leadership? What does it say about music? What does it say about what we do when we're here? What does it say about how we reach the community? What does it say about how we treat one another? Well, we want to know what God's word says, not some, some you know, cute little book that was, was written just to increase numbers. It's not possible to have deep relationships with thousands and thousands of people. Just think about our group. It's not easy with a small group to really get to know one another, to where you're bearing one another's burdens. So it, it's not possible. You, you shouldn't even really desire to have those big old giant numbers. They, they don't work. And so people just slip through the cracks. They come and they go and nobody knows who they are. That's not how the Bible designed a church fellowship. We're supposed to get to know one another to where when we see each other, we can see each other's face and go, I sent mate, right. How can I help you, brother? How can I pray for you, sister? To, to give you that hug, to pray for you so that you know that they love you and care about you and this isn't just going to become some you know gossip session for the whole church. We're, we're in relationship together here. Um, and so scripture is profitable for us and that we're able to use it with one another. But see, when you don't focus on scripture, then, then the focus becomes on, on other things. So instead of coming to church to focus on what God's word tells us to do, then we come to church and we, well, what most humans want to do is, again, it's self-centered and self-driven, health, wealth, and prosperity. How can I be happy? How can I be satisfied? Hey, sometimes you just got to be reminded that you need to do better. It's not about me, me, me. It's about how we serve the Lord. It's about how we serve one another. 
It's the sacrifices that we're willing to make for one another as unto the Lord. And so, as Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night. And if he does that, then he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that will yield fruit in season. But not so the wicked. They'll be blown away like chaff. Who here wants to be strong in trial? Who wants to be weak? Well, the reason why we're weak is because we don't have this. We're not a firm tree planted by the meditation of God's word. Listen, life is hard. We, we, we've got a lot of young people here. Life is hard. Just ask the old ones next to you. It's hard. It's not easy. It, it, it's, marriage is phenomenal and it is hard. <coughs> Raising kids is a great blessing and it's painfully hard. Having a job and making money and, you know, earning and buying houses is, is, is what, a, what a thrill and extremely hard. That's the good stuff. Then there's all the other crazy stuff that, that intersects in there. You will need the strength that comes from the Word of God in order to navigate through this world. And if you do that, then there will be a reward and a blessing in the next world. And so, this is why I come and I preach and, ex and exposit God's Word one book at a time, one chapter, um, you know, one, one sentence, one verse, and sometimes one word at a time. Because this is what matters. And so when we come, we say, all Scripture is inspired by God. Then we're going to study all the Scripture. Why? Because it's profitable. We'll be blessed. We'll be blessed by its teaching. We will be reproved. We will be corrected. We will be trained in righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...